Well, listen, we've got some thanking to do. We've got uh, to thank our Lord. This is a miracle. We have not been able to meet on Sunday for a while now. God has opened up the place for us. This is a, a kindness of Pastor Cliff Sampson and his church to allow us to be able to worship on Sunday like this. Hopefully in the future we'll be able to meet in the morning, but until that time, let's just rejoice in this particular event that we can gather together like this and just uh, praise His holy and most righteous name. We had a wonderful time in church yesterday, last evening, and um, I'm looking forward to tonight. But first, I just wanted to stop and, and praise the Lord for allowing us to meet on a Sunday. It's been a few weeks and uh, it's been agony for, for me, I'm sure for all of you as well. And so let's, um, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you. As Fred mentioned last night, Father, it was amazing that you allowed us to, uh, to get out of uh, the situation we were in over at the other place. And, and yet, Father... Uh, now you you kind of enclosed that, and we have no no understanding what you have in, in store for us. But Father, we know it's good. We know that all things will work together for good to those of us who love you, to those of us who are called according to your purpose, Father. Whatever you wish to do with us, we we want, Father, to open up our our hands and to just accept. I pray, Father, that you would bless Pastor Cliff Sampson. That, that, that his, his messages will be filled with power and that the people of his church would be just, uh, just grow in their faith and their love for you. And I pray that you'll bless them mightily and that we might be a help to them. I pray that, Father, in the most precious name, your, your Son. And I pray that you'll bless us, Father. We'll be truthful, faithful, we'll be honest, Father, to do all that you've asked us to do. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for every person here. And, Father, those that will be coming in the future, please bless us all, I pray, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited about this. You know, we've been in the book of uh, Romans, and uh, we've been uh, kind of looking through the very start of it. And so if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans the very first chapter. Let me review with you just a moment. Remember, Paul had not been to Rome as yet. And so he is introducing himself, but more importantly, he's introducing to them the Savior of the world, that they might know Him and understand who He is. And so Paul said, first of all, if you remember in the first verse, he said, I'm just a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I think we all can relate to that. He says, I am called as an apostle. I'm set apart for the gospel. And then he introduces Jesus Christ to them, saying that in verse 2 he was promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. He came concerning, concerning his son, born a descendant of David, and he was declared in verse 4, the Son of God, how with the power of the resurrection from the dead. And then he says an amazing thing to all of us. He said in verse 6, you too, you too are the called of Jesus Christ to all 
who are beloved of God in Rome. He then went on to say that he was under obligation. If you remember in verses 14, 15, and 16, he said the three great I am's. I am under obligation, I am eager to preach the gospel, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he said, the righteous man shall live by faith. And then, all of a sudden, as we saw last week, he kind of shifted gears. He, he moved us into a, a part of Scripture that, that talks not so much about the, the wonders of knowing Christ, but the very essence of, of not knowing Him. What does that mean to people? And so we, what we are going to come across in the next few weeks are four different areas. Number one, in Romans chapter 1, Starting with verse 18 to verse 32, Paul is writing to the ungodly or the the Gentiles who who do not accept anything of God and they, he says, are condemned. But he also says in chapter 2, verses verses 1 through 16, that the the self-righteous, those who say, "I, I, I go to church or I'm spiritual or I have some sort of religious belief, He says, you too are condemned who are apart from Jesus Christ. And then he takes into the picture from chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 8, the Jews. The Jews who who had the heritage of, of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob behind them. They had all of the heritage. And he says, you too, you too are condemned without the Messiah. And then so as to engross everybody into the picture, he goes from verse 9 to verse 20 of chapter 3, saying everyone's condemned. None of us are righteous. Remember what he says? Look, If you look at, at chapter 3 just for a moment, he says in verse 10, it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's no one, he says, who seeks for God. We've all tried. Together we've become useless. There is none who does good. No, not even one. And so all of a sudden, Paul just throws all of this upon the people, hoping that they will come to their senses and, and come to trust in Christ. Well, let's take a look at chapter 1, and let's take a look at verses 18 to 32 a little bit. We're going to kind of stay in here a while, but... But verses 18 to 32 contradicts the very theory of evolution. We're going to see that man will move downward, not upward, apart from God. Now some would say that it's possible for all men to acquire a knowledge of God. Some would say that. But Paul says, no, no, that's not needed because all men already possess a knowledge of God. Look what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. He says in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without In other words, God has made himself evident to people without excuse. Now one of the commentaries that I'm reading through is, I really enjoy it. It's it's by a a man named Dr. R.C. Sproul, who is very sharp. And he says this about Immanuel Kant. 
whom he calls perhaps the greatest philosopher in the history of Western civilization. When I came across the name Immanuel Kant, I thought he was a second baseman with the Phillies. I did, then that's my sense of knowledge anyways. But Dr. Sproul says this concerning Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant has said that it is impossible to use the traditional arguments for the existence of God. The traditional argument is that when man looks at the world around himself, he says something, someone had to make this world. Immanuel Kent says that's not possible. He says that we cannot move from the visible to understand the invisible God. To that point, Dr. Sproul states, Dr. Kant has a collision between he being the best of our secular philosophy and the assertion of the Apostle Paul. Paul states clearly exactly what Dr. or Immanuel Kant says is impossible. Paul says that the invisible qualities of God are clearly seen in the creative order in which we look into this universe in which we live. Dr. Sproul uses this. He says, just as we can look at a painting and know that there was someone who painted that picture, so we can look at the universe and know that there is a creator. In another commentary I was reading through, I came across a tremendous story that I had heard before, but, but somehow I'd, I'd forgotten about it. How many of you have heard of Helen Keller or Ann Sullivan? I'm sure many of you have. If, if you haven't, though, I want you to listen to this. It, it might help you understand what, what we just talked about. Helen Keller, at 19 months of age, contacted a very terrible disease that left Helen Keller without sight, without hearing, without speech. Helen's parents brought to her side a, a gifted, very special patient teacher, a special age teacher, really, by the name of Ann Sullivan. Eventually, over the years, Ann Sullivan taught Helen Keller to communicate through signing. She even taught her to talk, eventually. But I want you to listen to this. This is what is, to me, amazing of this story. This is a a story that was written in a book that was written by Helen Keller. She calls the story, as is the story of my life by Helen Keller. Upon learning to communicate, Mrs. Sullivan told Helen Keller about an almighty God. To which Helen Keller responded, oh, I already know about him. I just didn't know his name. Think about that. From 19 months of age, she could not hear, she could not see, she could not speak, could not communicate with anyone. When Ann Sullivan finally taught her to speak and communicate and tried to tear, share with her the wonders of an almighty God who made this wonderful universe, she says, oh, I already know about him. Just don't know his name. You see, Paul makes it abundantly clear that not only is there a revelation that proceeds forth from God concerning himself, 
but that God penetrates the human mind so that everyone has a knowledge of Him. Verse 19, God has made Himself evident to every person. And verse 20 is pivotal on our understanding how God reveals Himself to mankind. Verse 20, for since the creation of this world... Our God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made so that we are without excuse. Now, since He has been clearly seen by everybody, therefore, must does everybody automatically say yes to this revelation of Him? No, the answer, sadly, is no. So with that in mind, I wanted to stop here. And I just wanted to reason with you right now. As we start off these Sunday services, as we start off whatever it is that Lord has for us in the weeks and months ahead, I want to say to you what I said yesterday to the people that came. I... I, I don't want to play church. I want us to be all that God wants us to be. I want each of us here to understand the call that we have within our hearts to be the man, the woman, the young person that God has called us to be. And so I I made a note to myself to ask you, have you heard His call? Have you come to know and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I believe most of us here have, but I want to ask you, if you have, what are you doing with him? I mentioned, please forgive me, I'm going to stop saying I mentioned this yesterday. Let's pretend like this is the first time I gave this message. When I first came to to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, there were two things that held me back. Two things that were the most difficult for me to cope cope with. Number one was, I was afraid to ask Jesus Christ into my heart because I was afraid that I wasn't going to live up to what I thought would be the standard of what a Christian ought to live like. And I kept pushing it off, pushing it off for the, the while that I was considering becoming a Christian because I was afraid that I couldn't live up to that standard. The second part of that was I was also afraid to stop living like I was living in Hawaii. It was fun. And I didn't know that I was willing to stop doing what I was doing in Hawaii. You know, you hear preachers preach, you know, you got to come to... You got to stop sin. It's terrible. It's 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 a terrible thing. You know, and there's no fun in it. And I, I used to think to myself, well, they should have come and lived with me in Hawaii. It was it was really a lot of fun. And so I was afraid that I couldn't live up to the standard of what it was to be a Christian man. And I was afraid that I couldn't stop doing what I was doing, and didn't want to give up. It's a lot like the wonderful song that Anthony shared with us about the lightness and the darkness of knowing Christ and, and all that's in His name. Really what I was is what I didn't know at the time was I was afraid to come to the light to expose my darkness, to expose my sin, and to deal with it. 
And I also didn't understand how much God wanted to make me into the man that He wanted me to be and that it wasn't my job to do it, that He would do it for me and, and make me into that man just as He will you. And so if you've heard that call and for whatever reason you've put it off, or if you've heard that call and you've, you've kind of put off being involved as you ought to be involved in church or 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 a representation of the Lord, I, I beg of you. In fact, we're going to stop for a moment. and we're just I'm going to just be quiet. I'm going to let you talk with the Lord and, and see if He'll talk to your heart. Two nights ago, I got, I got asked to be at a, a party for what was, is my godfather. He's 90 years old. And they had a celebration of his life in, in San Pedro. And I went. And, and I was happy that I went. I was, it was when, when my parents and, and we first moved to San Pedro, California, his mom and dad, his mom and stepdad, took us in and helped us immensely. Croatian people, they just helped us. And I became friends with him, and we became instant friends. He was a little bit older than me, and um, he became my godfather. And so when I went to the party, uh, needless to say, I was one of the younger guys there. It was fantastic. And um, we were celebrating, and, and so many of his friends, older friends, came to me and said, uh, we hear that you become religious. You know, I, uh, I was a little bit known in San Pedro area and heard that you became really, really religious. Are you, you know, you a priest at a church or something like that? I would hear all sorts of things questions and and I thought to myself as I was sharing Christ with these these older men and women at, at this at this function for my godfather Matty Domancic I thought what a privilege to be able to share Christ with these people by the questions that they asked me it was very evident that they had very little knowledge of our Lord and as I was driving home I thanked the Lord that he would counter me he would count me faithful to be able to share with some people that I barely knew in San Pedro. And I thought about our church services this weekend, and I thought about you and me. There are people in San Pedro you'll never get to meet. I met them. I got the chance to share with some of them about my faith. You'll never get that opportunity more than likely. But there are people in your life that I'll never be able to come in contact with. That you have an obligation, a, a privilege of sharing Christ with them. Have you heard His call? If so, then for God's sakes, I beg you, respond. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment. I'm going to let you talk with the Lord and let Him talk to you. And I beg of you that you would be serious about your faith. This church, our church, the Rock Community Church, wants to be a church that is serious about what we believe in. I'll let you, be, I'll let you kind of talk to the Lord right now.
Our dear Father, we ask that you will bless, bless each of us. As we study through the Bible here at this church and we commit our lives to you, Father, may, may we walk through this time that we have here on this earth just committed, committed to following you and to being all the, all the people that we were created to be. Father, I pray that, as it says out of the book of Psalms, that you would open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might, we might behold wonderful things from your law. We might be the people that you called us to be. And I, I pray, Father, if I ever forget to say it, that you would not forget for me to move me aside so that I would not hinder what you are doing through any of our lives. Bless us, Father. What you have in store for this, the Rock Community Church, only you know, really. But may we be faithful to serve you the best we know how. And so, Father, as you dealt with each heart here tonight in your own particular way with each person, I pray that you will allow us to be a blessing to you with all that you have given to us, Father. We'll praise you and we'll give you the glory always, Father. We will try to hold nothing for ourselves but to give everything to you. I pray this in the most magnificent name that has ever been given, the name that Anthony had us so beautifully sing about. That is the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, your Son. Amen. Well, let's get back to where we were talking about. There are all types of pulls upon your and my life today. There are satanic ideals, there's idolatry that is uh, worship along with liberal education, modern culture. Everything is pulling us in different directions. And yet little of them, or if, if any, have anything to do with freeing us as, as, as individuals. These pulls take us away from God and move us towards the most terrible roots of all the very roots of Satan. Now, I know that modern man belittles the very idea of Satan. But I want to share with you some important examples of, of what Paul is saying here about how we are pulled away from God, even though we know Him, we're pulled away. I'm going to give you an example. It might work and it might not. It's, it's the nation of India, for instance. I'm nothing against them. But I understand there are millions of people that are starving to death in India, and yet their religion calls the cow sacred. And to kill a cow in India is tantamount to murder, and to eat its flesh is an act of cannibalism, I understand. All the while, India cannot feed their own starving millions. There are literally millions of cattle roaming the countryside, allowed to compete for, for food, all the while destroying crops far and wide for those who live in India. And the government of India will not stop them, not at all. In fact, cows are considered gods. Nation suffers in starvation. And why? Well, look at chapter 1. Look with me at verse 25. 
It says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature, in this case, cows, rather than the Creator, namely Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever. Amen. Well, that's India. But let's not be so smug. How many of you have heard of the Delta smelt? Ever hear? Have you? Well, for those of you that haven't, let me share with you. The Delta smelt is a protected, endangered fish living in all places, not India, but in Northern California. Let me read you a news article that my wife found for me on Google concerning the Delta smelt. It says, for the first time ever, farmers in Northern California have been completely cut off from their critical source of water. Farmers don't have access to the water that runs through, get this, runs right through the very center of their farmland. Why? Well, the Delta smelt, a little fish, is being protected by the Endangered Species Act of California. Why, you might ask. Well, conservationists say the Delta smelt are dying because of the irrigation pumps that run through the land. So, a judge ruled that the irrigation pumps must be shut off to protect the Delta smelt. And so, the farmers are not allowed to water their crops, therefore, they are losing their livelihood. They are harming the consumer, those of us who eat the things that they grow, or we would have to pay a higher price for the same goods that they would normally make because they have to haul the water in to water their crops. Cows, Delta smelt. What else? Where else? You see, the father of lies, the deception of Satan is the suggestion that is made here by Paul that folks have turned from God to Satan and bought his lies. I want you to see one thing that is perhaps one of the most amazing to me. The, apart from here, if you look here in verses 24, 26, and 28, three times it says God gives these people over. We'll take a look at this more in depth in the weeks to come. But in verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. And so the cycle goes downward, not upwards. But I want you to see something else that is mentioned by our Lord that is Almost, in fact, it is as, as, as dreadful to me as God giving people over to their sins or their lusts. Take me, please, to Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. You'll go back to the left. You'll go past the book of Acts, and then you'll see John and, and Luke and, and um, Mark and then Matthew. And look at Matthew chapter 15, please, with me. It's a very interesting place in Scripture, a very interesting uh, uh, situation that happens in the life of our Lord. He and the disciples were going through some land, and they were eating from some of the land there, and, and some of the Pharisees and the scribes, in verse 1, 
chapter 15 of Matthew, come to him from Jerusalem, and they say to him, verse 2, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Jesus answered them and said, not answering their question, but asks them a question. He says, and why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? You might want to note that word, your traditions. Not the traditions of God, but man-made traditions. He says, for God said, verse 4, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or his mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your traditions. Then he says, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of man. Stop there for just a moment, please. I want to go further, but I want to stop for a minute. This is why I felt so impressed to ask you to consider your walk with Christ. There are people, there are churches, there are those that honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. And I do not want that from us. I do not want that from you. I want you and me to serve the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. He called these people that did that hypocrites. I don't want to be that, and I know you don't either. Verse 10. After he called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles a man. His disciples came to him and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? You know, we, we always hear of Jesus never, never being very kind, always being kind, never, never always loving, never offending anybody. That's not at all true. He offended those people left and right. He was trying to shake them at their core so that they might come to know and to understand who he is. And so they asked, do you not know that what you're saying has offended these people? Jesus said, every plant, verse 13, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. And then he says three words that I think are the worst that you can ever hear. He said, leave them alone. They're blind. They're blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both are going to fall into a pit. Our Lord made it clear that, that not to follow after him, to be hypocritical, he says, I'm going to eventually just let you alone. If you go back with me, please, to Romans chapter 1, that's what we see happening here. It's not leave them alone, but it is God gave them over. Three times, verse 24, 26, and 28. Jesus said to those who rejected His ways, His words, over Satan's lies and Satan and mankind's traditions, He said, just, He gave them over. God allows man to pursue his own path, and man goes downward and downward, not upward and upward. 
Note the progression. Note, note the progression of sinfulness. God eventually gave them over in verses 24 to 28. Look, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and they served the creature rather than the Creator. Verse 26, Therefore God gave them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 27, In the same way also, men abandoned the natural function of a woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving their own persons the due penalty of their error. And verse 28 says, Just as they did not seem fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. If we read on further in verses 29 to 31, we could see a list of sin that could be in any newspaper in any city across the world in which we live today. Look at it with me. Verse 29, They were filled with all, note, unrighteousness, wickedness, Greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips. I mean, whoa, why would he throw in gossip in there with murder? I mean, boy, he's serious about our walk, is he not? But look at these things. The, the greed, that, that's what, 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 is, what is wrong with our, our country today, it appears. Evil things, murder, just place in Colorado verse 30 they're slanderers haters of God insolent arrogant boastful inventors of evil disobedient to their parents without understanding untrustworthy unloving unmerciful and what happens to these people who once knew better what is their fate look at verse 32 Although they know the ordinances of God, although that they know those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice these things. In other words, they approve those who join in with them. No wonder it's said in verse 20 that they are without excuse. If you ever have heard my testimony, you'll know that verse 32 is, is kind of a critical place in Scripture to me. When I left home as a young boy out of high school and went on to college, I, uh, well, I wouldn't do anything wrong. I was always fearful that my father might hear. And so I tried to walk the straight and narrow. I, I tried to live as, as nice of life as I knew how. Because I was always afraid of my father. Not that my dad was mean, but my father, boy, I just, I never wanted to disappoint my dad. He was a, he was a really an amazing man to me. But when I went away to college and then went off to college, signed a baseball contract and started playing baseball, before I knew it, my life started to spiral downward, just like I read about in these verses here, where God gives them over, God gives them over, God gives them over. And before... I knew it. I was living in Hawaii and I was doing things that I never thought I would ever do. And not only was I doing it, but when, the young te- when, when I got to be a veteran there and 
playing in Hawaii, and when some of the young guys came, I said, come on, I'll show you the ropes here in Waikiki. I not only did it, but I gave hearty approval to those who did. This is my testimony, verse 32. Shook me to my core. When I came to my senses and came to Christ, I didn't want to be a hypocrite anymore. I wanted to live a life that would not only make my earthly father proud, but my heavenly father. You see, Paul is reasoning to you and me in this section in Scripture. He's introducing to us the the peril of living apart from him or or living on that on that teeter board of trying to do good and you know he's saying come be all in be all with with me 100%. You see Paul is reasoning to those that are unbelievers. He is saying they can come from the cities of Greece or Rome, they can come from the deepest jungles of their of that day. But let's bring it to today where you and I live. Unbelievers can come from our cities, which is called high society, or from the inner cities or rural country towns. And unbelief is also found in the worst of places, that is, within our churches. Churches that leave Jesus Christ out of the pews and out of the messages that they preach, not wanting to offend. What Paul is with you and me is this, no matter where people are, no matter what time it is, whether it was back in that day or today for you and me, people are without excuse and guilty before God. He has made Himself evident to you and me. And He doesn't want to be a Sunday-to-Sunday type of thing. He wants us to know and to love Him every day of our lives. That's why I mentioned to you what happened to me Friday night as I went to this this celebration of this 90th birthday party for my godfather, that, that I was, was as much representing Christ there at that time as I would have been here in this pulpit. And you have the same responsibility we all do. And so John writes in John, the Gospel of John, the third chapter of the 18th verse, Jesus Christ is speaking to Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, The one who believes in me is not judged. But, he says, the one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so, see, we are hopeless without God's intervention of grace within our lives. And that grace only comes through understanding and knowing His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, it is our purpose here. It is the purpose of to the very core of who I am to help you and me grow in our faith. This is a start of something that I can imagine in my mind's eye is going to be absolutely glorious. More and more people are going to come to hear about our Savior. We'll be able to impact this community. I believe it with all my heart. But all of us have to be serious about what we believe. We have to reach this community. We have to reach whatever it is that God wants for us. So, Father, we study your word, and it makes tremendous sense. 
you tried to encourage those in Rome that first to know who you are, and then he, then Paul let the people know that that they're lost, they're lost, lost, lost without the Savior. And as Jesus Christ said to those that questioned what he was doing, he said, your traditions are meaningless. You have become Father, may we not be that. May we be a people who love you so, so much. But not only just love you, Father, may we be a people that want to follow you and, and do all the things that you've, you've asked us to do, and all that we've, you've asked us to become. I pray so much, Father, for the people here. I love them. I mean, I can recognize every... This is cool, Father, for me because it's smaller. People are kind of closer together and I can see them all. And I recognize. And I pray you'll bless us, Father. Bless us mightily. I also pray, Father, for Pastor Cliff Sampson. I pray that you'll bless him, bless his church. Thank you, Father, that they have opened up their doors to us. Very kind. I make a vow to you before, before you, Father, that I will never forget his kindness to us. I will be his friend. I pray you will bless him. In Jesus' precious name, amen.